one, one, two, three. Hello and welcome to the People Powered Green Left Podcast, where we give a voice to the 99% and not the big corporations. If you think this project is important, please consider becoming a supporter today. Now, on to our latest episode. This is an audio recording on the public forum on a left perspective on the West's defeat in Afghanistan, organised by Socialist Alliance and Green Left and held on the 28th of August 2021. We open with Chairperson Pip Inman reading Solidarity Greetings from the Solidarity Party of Afghanistan. I'd like to read a statement from the Solidarity Party of Afghanistan, who, for security reasons, of course, could not join the Zoom today. But they sent a statement... um, Uh, at our request uh, that I'd like to read out. It's reasonably short, so bear with me. Um, So this is from the Solidarity Party of Afghanistan. The occupying US government has once again exposed its filthy and inhuman nature to the world. In 2001, this criminal government, in collusion with other NATO imperialists, occupied Afghanistan under the guise of fighting terrorism, democracy, women's rights, and overthrew the Taliban's medieval regime within a few days, replacing them with their jihadist brothers, known as the Northern Alliance. However, after 20 years of bloodshed and the killing of hundreds of thousands of our compatriots, today, with the help of a traitor named Zalmi Khalzad, today the US government has gifted our country to its longtime walking stick, the Taliban, and handed Afghanistan over to drug lords and other terrorist organisations. Contrary to the US government's Afghans' minions' claims about the achievements of the last 20 years, the Solidarity Party of Afghanistan says that achievements were so fragile they collapsed in a single day once the US troops left. It's clear to everyone that US imperialism never gives its puppet governments enough ground to gain a foothold among the people, which could then lead to a chance of insurrection. As a result, the 20-year Karzai-Ghani government, composed of warlords, criminals and thieves, became so corrupt and so hated that it paved the way for the Taliban to take over. No one supported the government except a handful of rented mouthpieces. Now both foreign masters and the mercenary Taliban are stuck in a vacuum. The Pentagon has been surprised by the evacuation of US embassy staff and their Afghan aides. Taliban insurgents in Qatar are also unable to help form their future government in Afghanistan. It should be noted that imperialism has no permanent friends or enemies and is only concerned with its own strategic interests. It is therefore not surprising that both the Taliban and the US government provide security for each other. If the Taliban jihad was not just against our people, why are 6,000 US troops currently stationed at Kabul airport? Let us remember that in the near future, the puppet elements, jihadists, technocrats or Taliban will share a single bone because they share the same nature. With the rule of the medieval Taliban regime, our people will experience a new dark and catastrophic chapter. Although they're pretending to be different, the Taliban's actions throughout Afghanistan show they are the same misogynist, anti-freedom savages. Wherever there is oppression, there is resistance, however. Now that we are under the laws of the bloodiest kind of reactionary force, it's our historic duty to continue our struggle and resistance at every possible level. There is no other way but to continue resisting with new methods. Those who have a steely commitment to freedom, justice and true democracy can mobilise the people and fight against traitors, even in the most bloody and oppressive circumstances. 
we fully believe that the progressive anti-Taliban and anti-foreigner movement will rise up in our country and that we will play a decisive role in the struggle from the Solidarity Party of Afghanistan. Okay, um, I would um, like to introduce our first speaker. I'm hoping that he's um, been able to join us, uh, and that is Malik Mir. Uh, Malik, Malik is a long-term United States-based revolutionary socialist, and he's going to focus on the Joe Biden government's decision to withdraw, the political debate and the fallout and its meaning. Malik, um, as those many of you would also know, is a regular correspondent for Green Left on politics in the United States. So I'd like to hand it over to Malik. Malik, are you there? Right here. We'll wait for Malik. Um, we'll, we'll go then to Farouk Tariq, our second, uh, who's, um, well, was to be our second speaker, will be our first speaker. Farouk Tariq is a long-time socialist activist and author, and he's going to provide some history of religious fundamentalism and look at the so-called reinvented Taliban regime and its impact on the region. Farouk is the General Secretary, Pakistan Kisan Rabita Committee, and member of the Hakuk Kalk movement, the People's Rights Movement. Um, so I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Farouk. Um, thank you very much. Okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Pip, and thank you, Green Left and Socialist Alliance, for organizing this timely webinar. And uh, I could see some of my friends, old friends. There is Vakil is here. I met him earlier in uh, Melbourne. And so are many other friends. So good that I could visit some of my friends uh, on Zoom as well. Sue Bolton has just joined as well. Hello, Sue. Sue, congratulations on your victory. Okay. So I would like to uh, begin with uh, the present situation, which is uh, impacting Pakistan. And that is the the, the suicidal attack, which has killed over 100, including a US Marine and wounded many dozens as well. And this has opened a new chapter in the uh, ongoing struggle of the different factions of uh, religious fundamentalists. And uh, this expresses the situation that peace will be far ahead. And those who were talking about handing over power peacefully to Taliban and were talking about engagement all the time with Taliban and who were thinking that uh, we could work along as we have worked along other dictatorial and uh, different regimes. So we could also do the same with the present Taliban government. But now we see that not so many US Marine has been killed in recent history as has been killed in this attack where Taliban are blaming the US imperialism that this was the area controlled by you and US is uh, sharing the responsibility on Taliban. So we see that this is uh, uh, a new situation which uh, has erupted the whole arrangements of the uh, Western powers to evacuate and the US to leave peacefully. And also 
that uh, Taliban are not homogeneous uh, group. They have different factions and they will act as this is. And as we said earlier, that Taliban victory would enhance the power of the religious fundamentalist. And that we have seen with this uh, new wave of uh, euphoria among the religious fanatics has been witnessed also in Pakistan. Now, Pakistani, there is a government of Imran Khan, and you might all know about to him from cricket, but we know him from his politics, dirty politics. He's doing for the last three, three years, and he's in power. It's a right-wing conservative government, which has been glorifying Taliban, not just now after their victory, but for a long time. And they have been the initiators of this so-called Doha, uh, negotiation. They had arrested uh, Mullah brother in 2010, and then they released him uh, in 2018 to help in the negotiation of Doha. And Doha was uh, a, a method, a, a strategy by the US imperialism to leave uh, Afghanistan, but they had not seen the, the outcome of uh, of this uh, Doha talk because uh, it has given momentum to the ongoing uh, occupation of Taliban in uh, Afghanistan. It has uh, uh, discouraged Ashraf Ghani and its government. And we know it for sure that uh, Trump, when he started, when he announced these negotiation in July, 2018, he went overhead of the uh, of Ashraf Ghani administration in Afghanistan, and they were not really part of these, and it was a direct contact with Taliban, and Taliban got encouraged, and they forced U.S. imperialism to put pressure on Ghani administration to release 5,000 uh, Taliban, which are now part of the whole uh, uh, occupant forces. So we have always been <clears throat> opposing negotiation with these so-called new fascist trends, Taliban's fundamentalists. And we have gone through experiences in Pakistan. In After 9-11, fundamentalists were really taking over several parts of Pakistan, and they were able to form a government in KPK, which is the province next to Afghanistan, from 2002 to 2008. And this was the time when Taliban were flourished all over, also in Afghanistan, Daesh had uh, made its inroads in different uh, uh, Muslim countries. And the, the refuge and uh, the encouragement came from this part of Pakistan, which was controlled by religious MMA, which, is, uh, which was an alliance of religious party at the time. So we see that during the 20 years, it was the bourgeois government and the military dictatorships who, not understanding the real nature of uh, religious fundamentalism, they tried different strategies. They opted for military operation, they went into negotiation, they helped them uh, by capital and arms in a mishope that they could curtail, they could contain the influence of fundamentalism. But we have seen 
that uh, this has not worked so in pakistan particularly swat area of kpk was almost taken over by the fundamentalist and they were only 70 km away from uh, islamabad and then the military came into action and this was the time before this most of the political parties including people's party tehreek e insaf uh, muslim league nawaz uh, awami national party apart from us who were at that time awami workers party they were in favor of negotiation with the taliban and they openly said we have to engage with them and they went into negotiation and the mullahs got the permission of the government to implement sharia in parts of pakistan even when there was multi dictatorship of uh, when there was a government of benzir bhutto which is known as so called secular politician unfortunately uh, sorry this was the government of uh, uh, of zardari her husband benzir had gone already and he went along with this so we have seen the outcome of the negotiation in practical term in in pakistan as well the negotiation would always benefit the most reactionary element the fundamentalist it will help develop their contacts it will give them credibility their credential as political force would uh, uh, would be enhanced and we have seen with several other groups in pakistan religious fanatic groups whenever the government is involved uh, they they got strength and i also like to say that part of the pakistani military establishment has helped develop fundamentalism not only in pakistan but also in afghanistan and they have been uh, glorifying them that they are simple cloth they are simple cloth wearing people they are uh, the people who are uh, easy to deal with and they are strong people they will uh, help develop uh, uh, overall uh, this passage and the whole purpose and motivation behind these fundamentally strong government since 1996 when taliban came into power was the gas pipelines one coming from russia one from coming from turkmenistan and one from coming from iran so they were mainly interested that they should have a safe page, passage through afghanistan so there was economic motivation behind this propping up of religious fundamentalism in uh, afghanistan and also in pakistan i would also like to say that after a taliban recent takeover pakistan used this to discredit india and they said this is a defeat of india this is a defeat because they were close friend of ashraf ghani and indian said that it is pakistani government establishment which has helped taliban to come into power so they must be boycotted so they try to isolate pakistan and it is correct that part of the establishment might have helped the taliban but the the state as a whole never in words they would support them in words i'm talking i'm not talking about uh, uh, in practice but in words they have always have to say no no we are against fundamentalism we are partner in war on terror and we would like these fundamentalists to go away and so on so but 
this this incident this brutal occupation of afghan of taliban which is littered with bloodshed with abduction with killings it's not a peaceful takeover we have seen 20 years of suicidal attacks 66000 taliban the afghan afghan people have lost their lives and we have all the sympathies and solidarity with those families who lost their lives thousands and thousands has to be evacuated displaced internally and externally so we see the method and strategies used by taliban were terrorism so it's not a, a, it's not a um, a power which we can deal with we have to oppose it we, we have to demand don't accept this government as a legitimate representative of the afghan people and this has accelerated fundamentalism in pakistan i just like to say in few words a comparison between iranian fundamentalist government and the afghani fundamentalist government now iranian government when they came into power in 79 they came on the shoulders of the masses it was a united struggle of the iranian people to overthrow the corrupt regime of shah at the time unfortunately the communist toda party sided with uh, with khomeini forces and when they came into power they were on the airport to welcome khomeini but within one month most of the leaders including nuruddin and all other were uh, assassinated by fundamentalists and they tried to uh, uh, to strengthen their government by killing every opposition at the time but i don't think there will be like occupations of american embassies like the, uh, the after the iranian revolution it will not be like that it will be more like uh, it's not it's, it's a government of taliban who came into power by gun not by people's power and they say we are the majority so we have to see that uh, if they are in majority because gun can dictate many thing but when you give them uh, an independent option then you, we will see the real position so i don't think like iranian regime which has lasted 41 years this regime would last that long but it's not going to end in immediate future i we see resistance in afghanistan we see people's uh, uh, hatredness towards this but to to uh, to see that it will be overthrown immediately is very difficult option they will do their most fascist tactics to curb any voices which challenge their power in afghanistan and uh, they will show their real face when a mass resistance will emerge and even before that they will show their real august maybe after 31st august we will see who these talibans are and uh, so finally i would say yes we are going through a difficult time it's a bad time for the progressive forces internationally what we need is much more solidarity and we need to unite to help the afghan refugees we are in process of evacuating some of them but we are not in a position to evacuate uh, uh, in a, in a bigger manner but whatever we could do from pakistan we have held meetings 
and we welcome afghan refugees who could not live under taliban regime and we will demand that uh, those who want to leave afghanistan they should be allowed to leave afghanistan so helping developing and uh, working along with afghan refugee is one of our main tasks and also helping developing those forces living inside uh, afghanistan in opposing taliban and we know people who are there and they want to fight back and our daily paper online which is printed online the jidduja the struggle online is printing daily reports from kabul in urdu language and we are trying to side with those who are inside mainly women women are the most bravest uh, part of the resistance the women the seven women who demonstrated the first demonstrate demonstration in front of the presidential palace we interviewed the leader of that who is a young woman they were all from 20 to 25 years and they have an abrupt abrupt brave demonstration in front of the presidential palace in kabul and they said taliban took away their mobile phones and uh, they were pushing them kicking them when the international media came they went back and the images that taliban has allowed this demo but this was a defiant demo and we will see some more demos women of afghanistan particularly alongside with their male colleagues and we will see a new wave of resistance but unfortunately we need Uh, unfortunately we will not see maybe an immediate overthrow but we need to build an international solidarity and i know socialist alliance always always been in the forefront of helping refugees in afghanistan and internationally thank you thank you very much farooq for your um observations and uh your commitment to the ongoing struggle um Yes uh I think um it is what your comments about the Taliban uh are very important I note in Australia there's been some attempts at rehabilitating the Taliban to project that they may perhaps have changed their stripes in some way that's of course been contested um but um there isn't a lot of examination of uh the fact that the ally the, the united states led occupation intervention has been courting the taliban actively as you say in the doha talks but also beforehand and that certainly needs to be put under the spotlight now our our next guest uh will be malik mia malik thank you for joining us is difficult time probably for you uh but um, we're really happy that you're able to Malik is a United States based revolutionary socialist and he'll be looking at the Joe Biden democratic government's decision to withdraw and the political uh fallout and the debate about all this um as i mentioned before Malik is a regular correspondent for green left um so if you'd like to look at more of his writings you can just uh, click on the green left website and check that out So I'll hand it over to you now um uh, Ma- uh Malik thank you very much for joining us Um thank you uh can, I, I'm not sure I have my uh, video set up correctly but can everyone hear me Yes I can yes Okay Okay um unfortunately I'm, I I thought this meeting was tomorrow afternoon so Uh, I was late getting getting here. 
Uh, but let me just uh, start by uh, saying uh, since uh, August 15th, when the Taliban basically walked into uh, Kabul and the other cities, uh, and the former Prime Minister Ghani fled uh, from the country, events have moved so fast, it's caught uh, not only everyone, obviously, in Afghanistan, but in the U.S. as well, uh, unprepared for the new situation. I, I would say the most important point to understand is that after 20 years of war and the killing of tens of thousands of Afghan people by the U.S. and its allies, uh, they suffered a major uh, political defeat. I say political defeat because militarily, uh, they didn't have the ability to drive the, uh, the U.S. military and others out of power, but they did have the ability to win the majority of Afghan people, even those who don't did not like the Taliban uh, from their previous rule, to turn against the uh, puppet regime. And that, to me, is one of the most important uh, victories, not only for the people uh, fighting uh, against colonialism, colonialism in Afghanistan, but around the world, and a big defeat for the U.S. Uh, the fallout here uh, is uh, just unfolding because uh, President Biden, uh, the Republicans, Democrats who run the country, are bickering over whether this should have happened. But it's clear the ruling class here knew they could not win this war. In fact, I would say they knew this 10 years ago, or at least 10 years ago. Uh, and they just continued on knowing that the only way uh, to protect their interests was just to continue to bomb people and just uh, keep a military force there. But the price was uh, too high, and they made that decision. Now, even with the uh, suicide bombings yesterday or Thursday uh, in Kabul airport, uh, the response in the U.S., while on the one hand people are upset, they know that there's no winning strategy to go back into Afghanistan with troops. So what they did today was strike, uh, you know, they, they, they launched what they call a retaliation and killed uh, one individual uh, they said it was ISIS. Who knows if that's true? But that's what they did. Uh, now, uh, the debate here is still unfolding because it has broader ramifications than just Afghanistan. It impacts the rest of the U.S. policy in the Middle East, uh, North Africa, and Asia, even though they deny it. Uh, but the, 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 it's clear that not only do other jihadists see it as a defeat, but other people disagree with U.S. policy or British policy, uh, see this as an opportunity to strengthen their hand. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that I think is important for those of us who've always opposed uh, the, the U.S. intervention in Afghanistan and in other countries uh, to recognize is that uh, it's important at this time to keep the pressure on uh, any type of intervention or further intervention uh, into Afghanistan. The first thing the U.S. did uh, in the World Bank and the IMF did was to cut off all fundings, all funds. And that's, 
that's, uh, you know, considering that Afghanistan depended on a foreign aid and money, you're talking about up to $10 billion that was suddenly cut off. $7 billion from the U.S. alone, $5 billion from the IMF, or $3 billion from the IMF and World Bank uh, and other aid. So there's a problem with the drought in Afghanistan and, uh, and many other uh, issues that uh, you, you have 14, maybe 20 million people who are hungry today. So that there's, there's a big catastrophe. And one of the things the U.S. will probably do after Tuesday, the 31st, when they leave, I think the British, the Australians, and everyone else are leaving by tomorrow. Uh, but when the U.S. leaves the airport, uh, they're going to maintain these economic sanctions. They're going to continue bombing like they did today. Uh, and they're just going to make the thing worse. Now, <clears throat> whatever happened inside Afghanistan politically, and that's un unclear. Uh, I mean, the Taliban is the strongest force, but there are other political actors, other political forces. I'm not talking just about ISIS or uh, Al-Qaeda. There are other people who are obviously organizing and have their own interests. Uh, the imperialism will continue to put this this kind of pressure on the, on the people, which will affect not just the Taliban, but you know, rural areas, peasants, workers, women who they like to pretend to support, and other people. So one of the demands that can be made, uh, is, I think is very important, is that these uh, economic sanctions be uh, lifted and that the, uh, the money be turned over to whatever government is established. Uh, aid continue to flow uh, into Afghanistan, especially for the on-the-ground organizations uh, whether it's uh, uh, the UN or others that make sure people are fed and, uh, you know, support whatever other methods that, that will help the people. That, that must be done and is important. Now, the other point I wanted to make is that about the U.S. approach, and, and this has big ramifications too. Uh, the U.S. policy didn't begin uh, you know, in the last year, or uh, there's a lot of debate here that Donald Trump, the former president, initiate, initiated this a year ago in February uh, with the Taliban, and, the, and and that he was going to withdraw, and Biden was uh, upholding it. The, the The reality is that the U.S., as I said, couldn't win this war militarily, uh, and that's been known for more than ten years. Uh, the The significance of this is that to understand this policy and why it's defeated so is important because it originated in 9-11-2001 after that, that attack in, in New York. Uh, the U.S. made a shift in its uh, fight against uh, what they call uh, terrorists uh, when they established a, a new program or new uh, security state apparatus uh, to fight the, what they call the war on terror. Now, the war on terror was never about al-Qaeda. It was never about bin Laden. And it definitely wasn't about the Taliban. The war on terror was the new way for the, the imperial rulers of the U.S. and its allies to go after anyone they considered a threat to their interests, especially in the Middle East, uh, South Asia, uh, Asia as a whole, which is why the strategy evolved from uh, sending troops to Tal Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria to uh, a, a bombing 
campaign in all these countries that continue to this day where they don't even have bases, like in North Africa. So that was the war on terror, which is not let up. That is the debate here. Is the war on terror cannot be let up? We need to continue going after what they call terrorists. Even though it failed to work in Afghanistan, didn't work really in Iraq or Syria, but that is that is how they look at it. And, the, and it's likely they will add more resources to it. But but the reality is the U.S. empire is really in decline because just bombing people and killing people you call terrorists has only uh, showed your weakness because they, they, they know the American people are, can only sustain uh, uh, occupations of 100,000 troops for so long. So the strategy has always been let's do, use special forces and bombs. That didn't work. And in Afghanistan, which did not have the military weapon, didn't have an air force, didn't have any of that, was able to sustain a 20-year struggle uh, and weaken the American occupiers and eventually win. And I think others around the Middle East and other places see that. And that's, uh, that's very important. Now, how it will unfold, we don't know. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. Uh, but one thing for sure, inside Afghanistan, Afghanistan in the next period, there will be some political conflict. There will be some uh, new struggles. And for anyone to say they know what will happen, uh, that would be a mistake. Uh, the other point that should be known, uh, this, to recognize, is that it's a mistake to look at this as though Afghanistan is like 20 years ago, which is a, something that the media here talks about all the time. Afghanistan, the Taliban even, is not the same group as it was 20 years ago. I mean, it has the same vision. Uh, its its idea of Islam is the same it had then. But it, it, 20 years is a long time. They have a lot more sophisticated people who have joined. Clearly, there were many Taliban people in government, in the military, in the police, in universities, who worked in different urban areas, definitely in Kabul. Uh, many things I've read and seen and heard interviews, there, there were a lot of people who uh, worked inside uh, Kabul who were pro-Taliban and against the U.S. war effort. So we'll see what happens with that, what type of government they form, how they respond to attacks. Fundamentally, in my view, uh, the Taliban is a nationalist organization, even with its religious views, uh, Afghan nationalist group. It never agreed with ISIS, even in, at its heyday when it was in Syria and Iraq, uh, it, it was friendly to al-Qaeda uh, because uh, on the question of uh, Islam, they both agreed that all Muslims should uh, you know, function uh, peacefully together where ISIS wants to kill all non-Sunnis or anyone who doesn't agree with them. So the Taliban, you know, we'll see. Uh, and we'll see how the uh, debate unfolds inside the country. But outside the country... Uh, it's definitely here in the U.S., the, the main job is to put pressure on the government, in our case, the U.S. government, to uh, uh, end its economic sanctions, uh, provide money to those who need it, to help others uh, who are hungry, uh, and uh, not do what it normally does, as it's done to Venezuela, Cuba, and other countries' uh, embargoes. So demand that that not happen, and separate uh, the discussion about uh, that the, what the Taliban is or isn't to the fact that you you have to defend all Afghan people uh, right now, and I think that that is an 
an important fight. And there are many people uh, on the progressive left in this country who do understand that and do see that as an important point, whatever they think about the Taliban or, or, or different groups uh, inside Afghanistan. So that, that will be, you know, an ongoing fight. Um, I do believe on they will leave the U.S. On, uh, by August 31st. I do believe they're going to continue their uh, war on terror, but it's going to be in a different form. And the next phase of the struggle uh, is what I just said. I think from uh, those of us outside of the, that area need to uh, make sure that people get the help uh, and so on. Now, w- one final point on the refugees. Now, of course, the refugees, people who want to leave should be allowed to leave, especially activists like women for women's rights if they want to leave and others. Many people will not leave, not just those who can't leave, uh, because they will try to you know, see how they can f- function in that environment. Uh, so, yes, they, they need to get as, those who want to leave should be able to leave and they should be able to settle. Uh, that's another fight in the U.S. Uh, they don't, the, the, the right wing in this country does not like immigrants and they don't want them in the country. Uh, but, you know, the Biden administration says they'll bring in at least 50,000 Afghans inside. Uh, so that's important, another important demand. Though I think it's important to recognize that the, I think 95% are, but I think the 5 to 10% of people who they call translators were really collaborators. And no one wants to talk about that, but it's true. A collaborator were people out there with the military, U.S., British military, uh, pointing out civilians and others and, and saying, oh, yeah, that's the Taliban. And many people were killed. And, men, and, and that is, they didn't just sit there and translate. They were actually there to help the military carry out their so-called uh, war against the Taliban and against other groups. Now, they will get out, and many of them are, but uh, I think it's important for people on the left, especially to recognize that distinction, because people who collaborated with occupiers, in my book, uh, are not uh, friends of, uh, <laughs> that we should uh, support. Oh, but they will be the ones they will get out. Uh, the others do have a right to be to get out, and, and I think groups doing that should be strongly supported. Uh, anyhow, so those are the, some of the points I'll make. I have some others, but I'll take it up in the discussion. Thank you. Thanks, Malik. Um, yeah, that's good to have a bit of a feel of <clears throat> how it's playing out in the U.S., and, yes, we'll have more time for discussion. Um, it is, uh, I think, I think you're right about the war on terror is going to be sort of reframed and pushed differently. I guess you could say in some senses, the Australian government here is reframing the war on terror all around, um, um, the question of demonizing refugees. Um, so we'll, we'll go on to the next speaker who is Riz Wakil, who is a former refugee from Afghanistan who arrived in Australia by boat in 1999. Um, Now, Australia had a draconian policy back then, but it has got worse. Um, And I think Sue will speak a bit more about that. But Riz was uh, 19 at the time and spent seven months or nine months in Curtin Detention Centre until he was finally accepted as a Hazara refugee. Riz has also organised with uh, Hazaras here in Australia. And um, I'll hand it over to you, Riz, now. Thank you. Um, thank you, uh, Pip. Um, uh, since the 
uh, Taliban takeover from the uh, 15th uh, of August. Uh, I think I should ask if uh, um, anyone, everyone can hear me properly. Yes, all good. Uh, okay. Um, I, I think one of the um, biggest um, misinformation that uh, we are, uh, all are seeing that uh, Taliban somehow uh, has changed and uh, uh, they are allowing people to protest. Uh, there are some, you know, images uh, with the international uh, journalists, uh, selfies uh, showing the Taliban um, are allowing them. But I think um, um, the situation on the ground is completely opposite. Um, most of us uh, here today will know that and have uh, uh, come across uh, some footages and uh, um, news articles uh, from the activists uh, uh, on the ground in, in, in Afghanistan that uh, the, the, that will uh, uh, prove that the situation uh, is, is not as the international media and the uh, leaving or the running away uh, uh, American forces um, want us to believe. Um, because I have relatives still in Afghanistan, in Kabul, in central Afghanistan, uh, I'm in touch with a couple other uh, social workers in Afghanistan, uh, people who uh, were there for some kind of uh, humanitarian projects from Australia, um, they show a completely different picture. Um, uh, as soon as they entered uh, central Afghanistan around Mazar Sharif, they killed uh, innocent women who were just uh, doing their uh, everyday job uh, around the house. They killed, um, there is... Uh, uh, report by Amnesty International that they killed uh, 11 unarmed Hazaras uh, around Mazar Sharif as well. Um, there is a footage uh, available uh, widely in, 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 in the mainstream media that uh, a guy was uh, from Adelaide who was there to visit his family, was beaten, um, he's bleeding, uh, and we can see all that. A uh, couple of points that uh, uh, Farooq Tariq made, um, uh, I will try to uh, put my view on some of the points as well, that um, uh, it is uh, um, it is very important that we have to understand uh, the, the, the power players and their role in Afghanistan right now. Um, uh, the, uh, the Pakistani military establishment, um, we all know that um, they are the the, the, the creator of Taliban in 1992, uh, when uh, Pakistan um, was uh, 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 Pakistani Prime Minister was Benazir Bhutto, and the uh, Foreign Minister was uh, um, I think it was uh, Nasrullah Baba. Um, they created Taliban, uh, and their first operation was to 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 uh, uh, secure the. Uh, uh, hundreds of containers sent by Pakistan uh, uh, as a as a solidarity and as a, as a good gesture to 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 the um, uh, Central Asian countries of Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and and, and so on. Um, one thing is very important to understand that the that the majority of not only Pakistani military establishment and the political establishment, majority of Pakistani population even consider Afghanistan as their territory, as their sixth province. 
and uh, that hasn't gone away. Uh, a lot of uh, Pakistani uh, journalists and uh, some of them very well-known journalists uh, are trying to portray Taliban as a changed and as a very well-educated force in Afghanistan, uh, which is not true. And um, uh, it's, it, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be um, very difficult for us to understand that a lot of these people, while on one hand they consider Taliban as a, as a very well-educated and changed force who will uh, not uh, try to impose the strict uh, Islamic rule or Sharia law that they uh, uh, were pursuing uh, 20 years ago. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, uh, Pakistani Taliban's are terrorists for them. So um, uh, it's, it's, it's not very difficult to understand uh, the mindset uh, um, of, of, of majority of people uh, in Pakistan, uh, military establishment in Pakistan civil society. And on the other hand, I think uh, uh, a lot of people, uh, especially from my community, for them, it's very surprising how come uh, Iran is supporting Taliban at this uh, at this stage. Uh, again, it's not for us, for progressive people, it's not uh, um, hard to understand that uh, 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 Iran itself is an uh, Islamic state and uh, they do uh, almost uh, similar things that uh, Saudi Arabia stands for. They do uh, almost similar things that the uh, Taliban themselves stands for. So um, uh, for um, for me as a as a as a refugee from Afghanistan, uh, the most important thing will be to um, uh, to uh, find a way uh, to force uh, uh, our government. I'm in Australia at the moment. Uh, to uh, help people uh, leave Afghanistan, whoever wants to leave, not only the elite class, not only uh, people who uh, went uh, for a business venture in Afghanistan who, and who wants to return back to their uh, life in, in the West, but every single um, ordinary Afghan who, uh, whose life is now in danger under uh, Taliban government, we have to make sure that we have to uh, push our government to uh, increase uh, their effort and uh, bring as many people to safety and, uh, as they can. Um, um, I think um, at the moment, uh, uh, all the region uh, power players in the region, such as Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, India, um, uh, I think they are uh, facing uh, a completely different scenario as well, uh, politically and economically. Um, uh, that's my personal view anyway. I personally think that uh, uh, Pakistan uh, would like to uh, have uh, a government which uh, um, will follow their instructions, which will secure their financial and geographical interest uh, as well as China as well, because China has uh, invested huge amount of money uh, as their uh, Belt and Road Initiative in Pakistan and trying to uh, extend that uh, through Afghanistan and in, into into the Central Asian countries as well. And, and uh, with that situation, I think uh, 
we won't see any kind of uh, different approach from the uh, Pakistani military establishment or Pakistani government towards Afghanistan. They will try to uh, support the so-called um, good Taliban in Afghanistan to secure, um, of course, to secure their own uh, uh, interest. Um, uh, but at the moment, I think um, there are uh, influx of refugees, uh, as far as I know, in, in, in Quetta, uh, mainly being Hazaras, leaving central part of Afghanistan. Um, there are uh, announcements, and I, I think they, 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 I can understand why they're trying to, to keep um, all this uh, as a low profile and uh, don't give it uh, too much exposure because, uh, again, uh, it might... Uh, jeopardize their effort to uh, help as many refugees or people who are uh, fleeing uh, across the border in, in, into that part of Pakistan. Uh, they are announcing in, in, in mosques, uh, asking people to help uh, the newly arrived refugees in, in Quetta. They are trying to accommodate them. And um, um, uh, I think uh, we should do uh, a lot more um, sitting in, 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 in safety in, in, in countries like Australia, uh, European countries, America as well. I think we have to force uh, our government, we have to uh, do whatever it takes uh, to, to, to um, uh, force our government to help these people uh, who wants to leave Afghanistan um, and start a new life of safety and freedom uh, anywhere else. Uh, I don't think it's very easy, uh, for, uh, considering my own uh, experience as a refugee in, in Australia. Australian government is one of the one of the I say when it comes. Australian government is very really brutal when it comes to treatment of refugees and asylum seekers. Uh, people are still locked up in in, in remote camps uh, uh, outside of Australia. Australia doesn't want to help them. Uh, it, it will be a very uh, difficult uh, and time-consuming task for us, um, and uh, it feels uh, like it's never-ending. Uh, we sometimes we think that uh, we have succeeded uh, and uh, we achieved something, but uh, several years later we find ourselves exactly in the same spot that we were uh, 15, 20 years ago. Um, uh, people are thinking. Uh, even inside Afghanistan, that uh, people are hopeful that the uh, situation might not be as bad as it was under the Taliban rule uh, uh, before uh, the 9-11. Uh, I personally don't think that. Uh, I personally don't think that uh, uh, we can differentiate between ISIS and Taliban. They are uh, uh, just uh, two different uh, sides of the same uh, page. Um, and uh, uh, time will only prove that... Um, Taliban hasn't changed because uh, uh, they're just uh, at the moment they're ju just trying to uh, 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 strengthen uh, their uh, grip on the power and uh, uh, once uh, they have full control over uh, resources and over the government in, 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 in Afghanistan, I don't see any reason why they will uh, change their uh, approach, uh, uh, fundamentalist approach uh, towards the society and towards um, uh, everyone else uh, in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, I personally hope that um, um, uh, progressive forces uh, outside Afghanistan 
will always uh, stand by uh, people in, 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 in Afghanistan who were left uh, helpless uh, by the Western occupying forces who uh, didn't have uh, any uh, plan uh, for them, uh, for a stronger Afghanistan, for a stronger democratic government in Afghanistan, and just uh, fled uh, in the middle of the night and left people uh, in the mercy of these um, uh, barbaric and uh, fundamentalist uh, people that uh, uh, whoever uh, wants to call them whatever, Taliban or ISIS. Uh, and uh, um, let's hope that uh, we can do something uh, for people who are suffering uh, under this regime. Thank you, Riz. Yes, very uh, sobering, um, your comments there. Um, I guess um, without further ado, I'll go straight to Sue Bolton, who's our final um, panellist this, uh, this afternoon, this evening. Um, <clears throat> she is uh, a long-term uh, campaigner and um, she's a member of the National Executive of the Socialist Alliance. She's a three-term councillor in Moreland in uh, Victoria uh, in north uh, west of Melbourne and um, Sue's been very active in the refugee rights campaigns movements uh, for many decades now and as well she was uh, of course still campaigning against racism and was very involved in the struggle against the war in Afghanistan before it started. So over to you Sue, thank you. Hi everybody. Um, and um, thanks especially to all the international guests and also to Riz and also everyone who's participating in the discussion today. Um, there'll be time for everyone to get to have their say in, in a moment after I've finished. So I'll be talking a bit more from the Australian perspective. And from the very beginning, the Australian government was fully on board with the US so-called war on terror the invasion of Afghanistan and then the invasion of Iraq. And it was bipartisan support. Um, the Liberal Party and the Labor Party, when both were in government, have both um, continued the occupation. It was started by the Liberal Party but continued uh, under successive governments. And in order to win enough public support for both the invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq, the US and the Australian government had to use humanitarian arguments to disguise their real purpose. I remember that just before the US invasion of Afghanistan, there was a march by victims of the uh, collapse of the Twin Towers saying not in my name that they did not support the invasion of Afghanistan in the name of their family members who died in the Twin Towers. Now, that was never reported in the mainstream media in Australia. And I think I heard somewhere that it was only reported in the left and progress or left and maybe smaller liberal media in the US. However, the anti-war movement in opposition to the invasion of Afghanistan was quite small in comparison to the massive anti-war movement against the invasion of Iraq. A large section of the Australian public did buy the line that the invasion was necessary to stop future terror attacks and to save the Afghan people, in particular women from the Taliban. The fact that Osama bin Laden had been funded and armed by the US for decades was mentioned but not highlighted by the mainstream media in case it got in the way of the humanitarian justification for the war. 
Um, Socialist Alliance members were actively involved along with other left and anti-war activists to oppose the invasion. When feminist and left activist from Afghanistan, Malalai Joya, came to Australia, I think around 10 or 12 years ago, um, many people who accepted the line about the humanitarian invasion were confused when Malalai said that the people of Afghanistan had two enemies, the Taliban and the US. Um, Many of the, many people who had accepted that the invasion was to rescue women or, you know, produce democracy in Afghanistan, assumed that Malalai would only be talking against the Taliban and not against the US occupation. What Malalai said in her argumentation was that the people of Afghanistan only want to fight one enemy and not two enemies. Therefore, she wanted one of the enemies, to, that is the US, to leave so that people could take up could fight against the Taliban. Recently, Malai did an interview with a German paper where she said that the American and Western troops have failed. They've come from their, for, from their, for their own geopolitical interests, from their own domestic interests that they are now leaving. The Americans replaced the barbaric regime of the Taliban with the brutal warlords and then began to negotiate with the Taliban, even though the nature of the Taliban has never changed. And... I think one thing which is really rarely ever mentioned in the mainstream media is that the government, the puppet government that was set up by the United States in Afghanistan was a government of the warlords. And that's really rarely ever mentioned. It's sort of, um, it's really described as if it was, uh, a, you know, a genuine sort of government, um, democratic government. Many people have been surprised by how quickly the Afghan puppet government and army collapsed so quickly. But really, we shouldn't be surprised. The US occupation forces, including Australia, bombed, occupied, terrorised and carried out terrible atrocities and didn't even bother to count the Afghan casualties. The invaders imposed a series of puppet governments composed of brutal and corrupt warlords. If there was popular support for the Afghan government, it wouldn't have melted away as fast as it did. And I think um, really the brutality of the US occupation, in particular the drone attacks, were probably the best recruiting recruiting agency for the Taliban. And I think even um, Afghan people who might have gained some benefits from the occupation, such as jobs or education, also experienced the fear and horror of indiscriminate drone attacks. While the war was sold as a good war in Australia and the US and other places, it was never a good war. There were some interesting comments also made recently by an Afghan army commander who said that while the Afghan army is not without blame, the forces ultimately um, responsible um, were were the um, political leaders in Afghanistan and the United States. And he mentioned three specific factors that led to the Afghan army's collapse. Um, The peace deal that Trump signed with the Taliban, the loss of contractor logistics and maintenance support in Afghanistan, and the corruption epidemic in the uh, Ghani's government. Um, And he said that just on the military front, which just, you know, shows how pathetic all of the US excuses are. He said that um, when the US just 
left um, the Bagram Air Base on the 5th of July without even telling the Afghan army so, because they didn't give a shit, basically. Um, they took with them all the software and weapon systems um, that were required to operate a lot of the key military technology that the Afghan army had been given by the US. So, I mean, I guess it's like, you know, imperialism all over the world where you might get a few little crumbs, but, you know, um, you know, basically you don't get um, what's required. Um, while there might be some support for the Taliban, there don't appear to be, have been or oh, doesn't appear to have been any popular uprising in support of the Taliban, but it seems to be more an acquiescence that the Taliban takeover was inevitable and then multiple warlords just simply swapped sides. Um, but it has been really pleasing to see that there have been protests that have broken out against the Taliban takeover, and that is really pleasing to see that um, there is resistance um, because that is absolutely critically important to the next stage. Um, I also think one of the things which has often been overlooked is that the occupation also really... Um, artificially changed the balance of forces and built up some warlords to be extra powerful. For example, in Aruzgan province, where the Australian military was, the local warlord in that province was really built up from being a minor warlord to being a very powerful warlord as a result of their alliance with the Australian military. And that happened in every province where the um, occupying um, armies were. Um, and in fact, in Uruzgan province, sometimes this particular warlord would tell the Australian military that such and such a person was Taliban and the Australian military would trot off and kill them. But sometimes they were just simply business rivals or people he owed, owed money to. Um, so there's no doubt that the US has been defeated, but is it the end of the US's military attacks on other countries? And I suspect not. I mean, one of Biden's recent comments was that the um, that they have a national strategy in in the aftermath of the um, you know uh, pulling out of troops from Afghanistan to monitor, disrupt, and disrupt significant terrorist threats not only in Afghanistan but anywhere they may arise, whether they're in Africa, Europe, the Middle East, and elsewhere. Where will the U.S. train its guns next? Latin American countries like Venezuela, China or somewhere else. I think we can't be um, relaxed about this and we need to oppose the US attempts to expand their military bases across the world and they are still in an expansionist um, phase in terms of their military bases. And then another key demand that we also need to make, um, along with war reparations. I mean, there needs to be a repaying of money to Afghanistan for, for rebuilding and, and, uh, and humanitarian aid, etc. But um, there also needs to be a bringing of war criminals to justice. And as in Australia, there was a report uh, released in 2020, which outlined horrific um, revelations of war crimes by the Australian military. And the Australian Federal Police are looking at laying charges against some members of Australia's military forces. However, they're not looking at any of the big wigs, the big commanders, 
or the political leaders responsible for, for the war. They're really looking at lower down uh, soldiers who've carried out really unspeakable, um, unspeakable atrocities. Um, however, some of the war crimes trials that may happen in Australia are probably in jeopardy because of the Taliban takeover. Um, and, you know, because there has been a, a systematic military cover-up of war crimes over, um, over the whole period of, of the occupation. And some of the war crimes have been really quite horrific, um, such as, um, you know, shooting and killing a prisoner because they didn't fit on the um, helicopter um, that was removing prisoners from a particular location. Another occasion of um, kicking an unarmed uh, farmer um, over the edge of a cliff and then just killing him um, when he fell to the bottom and didn't die in the fall. Another occasion when um, they accidentally killed a farmer in a field and then decided to kill all of the other 10 farmers so that there were no witnesses to be left alive. The witness uh, for that um, had her home bombed, uh, firebombed in November in Sydney or, or somewhere in Australia. Um, and the witnesses to all of these atrocities have been intimidated and threatened. And no doubt those atrocities really did build into um, the Taliban taking back control of, of Afghanistan. Um, and we need to um, keep pursuing and um, bring the war criminals to account. I think one of the critical things in Australia that we need to do is to break the ANZUS Treaty, which was used to justify the invasion of Afghanistan. And the, um, the ANZUS Treaty is um, a treaty, a military treaty dating back to 1951 um, of Australia, New Zealand and the United States and has been um, invoked in many, many interventions um, Vietnam, Afghanistan, Malaysia, and, and other places as, as well. Um, and we need to push for an end to this military alliance and to close all US military bases in Australia. And this, um, you know, Australia hitching its wagon to this to the United States military also means that, um, you know, Australia is a willing participant in this, it's our own capitalist class, um, but it also, you know, drags us off to war, you know, uh, you know, it was, has been used to try and strengthen the um, attacks on uh, China in um, around the Spratly Islands. No, no doubt China has done bad things as well, but like, it's just totally hypocritical given what Australia has done in the East Timor Sea against the Timorese. So it's, it's a, it's a um, reactionary military treaty, which needs to be broken. Um, yeah. Uh, so just on the last, last couple of points, I'm not sure how I'm going for time. Um, you know, the, U.S. occupation ended in such a chaotic way because the U.S. didn't never really cared about Afghan people. They never cared what happened after it left. They just wanted, um, they decided at a certain point to exit and, you know, they didn't care what happened. And the same with Australia. And it seems that not one single occupying army intended to lift the little finger to rescue people who would be targeted by the Taliban from Afghanistan before they left. Um, so 
instead they waited until after the Taliban took over before um, before you know trying to rescue anyone who might have been um, targeted by the Taliban. In fact, the US even left its massive Bagram air base on the 5th of July without even telling the Afghan army that was meant to take over that air base. And, you know, Biden, Scott Morrison in Australia claimed that they didn't know that the Taliban was going to take over. I mean, we can see all the, mil- all the media reports. We didn't even need the military reports. We just saw the media reports that the Taliban was taking over province after province as warlords um, jumped ship and, and shifted allegiance. So it was clear what was going to happen. But some people who've, who had worked for the Australian government, um, either as interpreters or doing security at the embassy or whatever, some of those people had put in refugee applications. In 2013, seven, ten, nine, eight, five years ago, and the, US, the Australian government had simply not processed them. So it's absolutely, you know, the Morrison government, the US government, absolutely had didn't give a stuff about the Afghan people. But I think the Australian government's response has been even worse because out of all the occupying powers, the Australian government has the most barbaric refugee policy out of all of the occupying powers, even more barbaric than the United States, and that's saying something. Um, the, you know, the um, Australian... Australian government has been insisting that they will only take Afghan refugees if they apply within the country, which means that if some Afghan uh, people manage to escape to Pakistan or Iran or further north to Uzbekistan, the Australian government will not accept them. Um, so this is something which has to, has to change and it's something that in Australia we have to keep building the movement to force the Australian government to take, um, to take refugees from uh, outside of Afghanistan as well as inside Afghanistan. And that includes lifting the ban on accepting Afghan and all other refugees from Indonesia um, these are all refugees who've been recognised as refugees by the UNHCR, but the Australian government has banned from coming to Australia since 2014. The other thing which the Australian media and Australian politicians haven't been talking about is the fact that there are thousands of Afghan refugees in Australia, especially from the Hazara community, who haven't been allowed to see their families or be reunited with their families for up to 10 years. And this is because the Australian government has had a policy where uh, refugees who arrived before 2013, who were recognised as refugees and um, granted permanent protection visas, were have been forced to the bottom of the queue for family reunion, which basically means if if they arrived here by boat, this was a Tony Abbott, Scott Morrison initiative. So this means that basically those refugees have been banned from ever being reunited with their families. Then refugees who arrived in Australia by boat after 2013, um, who've been recognised as refugees, 
have been put on temporary protection visas or CHEV visas, which means they have to renew them every three years or five years. And it basically bans them also from family reunion. And in recent times, the Australian government has um, decided to stop renewing these visas. So put, put, put people on bridging visas uh, pending deportation from Australia to Afghanistan. So this is cruel on so many, many levels. And so in the, um, in the refugee movement, we are campaigning for uh, the Australian government to um, lift, increase its humanitarian intake of refugees from Afghanistan by 20,000 places, like what the Canadian government is doing, and we're also calling for all of um, Afghan refugees and asylum seekers um, to be released from detention and granted permanent protection visas. And for those on temporary protection visas or bridging visas to be have those visas converted to permanent protection visas and the ban on family reunion um, to be lifted. Um, so these are all components of what the refugee movement is calling for in Australia. And it's really important that we use the, um, the horror that people are, are, um, are feeling about the failure of, of the Australian government to rescue the families of Afghan asylum seekers, um, use this horror to try and build, um, build a stronger refugee movement which can win these demands, not only for Afghan refugees, but all refugees, um, whether they're Rohingya refugees or um, Tamil refugees or, you know, wherever they, whatever horrific conditions people come from. So I'll just leave it there because we want to have lots of time for discussion and questions from everyone who's online. Thank you. Thanks, Sue. Um... Yeah, a lot, lot of food for thought and obviously um, people are really getting into it by um, putting their views in the chat box. Um, we want to get into discussion um, through the, for the whole meeting. I'll just ask that if people could write their questions or indicate what they'd like to speak in the chat box from now so that um, I can see it. I've got a very small screen so I can't see everything that's gone before. Um, uh, yeah, so and also if, um, if you could just keep your comments for a couple of minutes so we can um, ask the panellists to also reply to questions in this time. Um, I notice um, that just as people are thinking of questions, unless there are some already in the chat box, um, no one, uh, uh, at least we haven't seen any images of Afghanistan until very, very recently. I, I, I think back to 20 years of this war and I think, you know, only embedded media could go over there with Australian soldiers and we never saw anything except for what our friends over there were sending us privately and then suddenly now we're seeing, you know, the Kabul airport, the sewage that people had to walk through and all the rest of it. This is another part of, of keeping this war away from um, countries uh whose armies were participating. So it was really at arm's length from us. And um, I think if we'd seen the images of what actually was happening, there would have been a much stronger anti-war movement at the time. Okay. Um, I have a few hands up. Um, and 
Uh, okay, thanks. I've got, um, I'll go to first to Nazir, then Raul, and then Tim. And perhaps, as I said, if you could keep your comments short and then we can uh, have a bit more of interchange between uh, you and the panellists. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Pim, and thanks uh, for the panelists. Um, my, uh, I want to uh, raise some questions, uh, some something here, some points. Uh, uh, it's not a question. Um, I'm uh, and Hazara uh, farmer refugees at the time when RIS came. Uh, we lived in Sydney before, and this news uh, uh, actually shocked and uh, shattered. Uh, the community in Australia. Uh, Riz lives in, in Sydney, uh, but I live in Melbourne. And uh, But this this news of withdrawal, it shattered the whole community. My personal view about this withdrawal is actually, uh, the withdrawal is actually a very clear expression of the failure and inadequacy of the global capitalist economic liberal phase style and policies. Uh, the U.S. imperialists set some of the major targets when they attacked and invaded Afghanistan in 2001. And some were apparent and some uh, of them were hidden, conceptual and colonial um, targets. So apparently they, in, the, in the beginning, they said that they, they will go there, they hand the Sama Billah, then they, they will disperse Taliban and Al-Qaeda. But we have seen that... Um, American soldier killed bin Laden at that time uh, in a state of illness, and he was very weak, as we can see, and we, we have seen that. And so that they killed him in that that, that state. And uh, why? It is because they, they he wish he should not go to the court and reveal the secret imperialist, imperialist Nazis uh, in the court at that time. And in, in other hand, this is that they, they will eliminate Taliban uh, or Al-Qaeda. As Sue said before, that uh, we, we, we know that they have uh, armed, they have funded, and they, they use petrol American dollars, and they have trained Al-Qaeda and Taliban and sent them to Afghanistan and other parts of the, of the uh, world to, to, uh, for, for their goals to achieve. And uh, we have seen when they invaded, they said that they, they will go there in Afghanistan for the freedom, of, for the freedom, for the democracy, or, or to put women on the side of, of men, giving them equal rights, uh, equal rights, uh, and disperse Taliban. But when they left, what happened? And we can see that uh, the Taliban, they are more powerful and they they, they become stronger than before. And Taliban was, was weak at that time. But yeah, they, there were some in, in some urban areas, we, we could see some in, women from NGOs or non-government organization in the urban areas. They, they, they uh, are some social, they got some social freedom. But what happened to them now? They are in the same place. They put it in the same, same, same place. So I, I think that, um, that United States has plucked the region in an anxious state of anxiety. Its presence as a policeman 
in the area. It's a dream of keeping an eye on Russia, Iran, and besieging China, for example, all gone in the year. It's finished, it's gone and vanished. And, and th these are the things that we have to, uh, to, to think about. And it is now the circumstances, we can see that Taliban has, Farouk said that they, they came in power and they are, they are the same, same group who, uh, who are fundamentalist and very brutal, they have not changed. And uh, they, they, in the whole, it's not only about Afghanistan, it is about the whole region and even, even for, uh, for the whole world that we, we, we will see the impact of, of uh, their coming in power, especially in, in the region. For, for Pakistan, it would be very bad. We can see TTP there before, and as Farouk said that they have occupied Sawat and some other part of the north area of Pakistan, and it was only a few kilometers from, from Islamabad. And they, they imposed Sharia law in there. So what will happen? And um, yeah, thanks. Uh, maybe maybe I ask uh, uh, Malik um, uh, about. Can you ask your question, please, comrade? Yeah, the so question is about. Yeah. Many people want the question to is from Farouk that what okay. will happen now when the Biden Biden said uh, announced that we will hunt ISIS K. So what will happen? They will they will draw uh, they will put more bomb in there through drones or what will happen? And maybe uh, they target Pakistan as well as some areas of the Pakistan. Sorry to taking more time. Thanks. Thank you, Nazir, very much. Um, now we have um, a number of people with their hands up, but I'm actually looking to try and balance, gender balance this discussion. So you'll forgive me if I jump a few down. Um, so I'd like to just go now to, um, I think it was Mary, perhaps. Mary, would you like to ask your question, please? Uh, thanks, Pip, and thanks to all the speakers. Uh, I just have a quick question, which is I'd like to hear more about the uh, apparently the resistance that's going on in the Pangea Valley, which is in the northwest of Afghanistan. Um, so if someone could speak about that, um, that would be really good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. I think we go to Raoul next. You'll have to put your sound on, Raoul. You're right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, um, I prefer because we are talking about possibilities. This can happen, not happen. What happened? Why this happened or not happen? Um, I think we have to take the, the things that can help us in here and in the world for the next struggles that are going to happen. That's, for me, the more important point. The one more point is very important for, for be clear is why the Taliban uh, was so fast. The, 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 the corruption in, in Afghanistan was completely. The U.S. or the alliance create an Afghan army of 300,000 people. What is the army? One thing that it was clear is uh, it cost $88 billion to US to build up the army. Second, for 
they discovered at the end that 40,000 of the soldiers never were there and the officers were getting the money. So what if all? Because it was nothing. The government was corrupt. The, the people, yes, they didn't like well, the, the occupation because many of them were very nationalistic. And that sort of stuff is why quick that is the story. So don't think that is Taliban is what it is. It's not the same Taliban that it was before. Coming from a struggle, first defeat, defeating the Russians, then the, the second defeat, the trying to control the country. That's another story. Second point I want to mention in, in this situation that is very important. I, I, I many, many people tend to uh, connect this, this goal, this situation in Afghanistan and US situation in Afghanistan, like a Vietnam. It's nothing to do with Vietnam, absolutely nothing. Because the situation in Vietnam in this 1974, when the Saigon fall, still there was a, the Soviet Union, China, and other places that stopped the, the, the US to go further. But it's the second point, there's supposed to be years of, for US to come back, and because the Soviet Union didn't last too long, and China make an agreement with the US. And in 15 years, the US becoming up uh, again the, the, the dominant force in the world. In this situation now, it's slightly different. And that's why uh, I think it was what Kiel mentioned th this word, China. China is creating a new a nuevo thing. We don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know everyone, but we have to be open to that. They are, from there are coming the other two things, very important things. What we can do here, first point, Wakil, again, refugees, refugees, refugees. That is the point that we have to use trying to break the miserable politics of the government. And, and the last point I want to mention here is there are two, two, two that um, that still are uh, present in our struggles everywhere. The first point is that the, the, inter, the humanitarian interventions are all rubbish. That is clear. We know when they come into us, we have to protect the, these people there. It's rubbish. We know it's rubbish and we have to make clear. It's not the interventions humanitarian or the cover for imperialist wars. Be clear, is that the reality? And the second point is uh, Vietnam, even if Vietnam is not exactly what uh, Afghanistan, Afghanistan is proven to the US is not impossible to defeat. No, we can't do it. The peoples all together still can do it. That is things that I take for, and today because I have to think how can learn from the experience in, in Afghanistan and the old experience I have? Thank you. Thank you, Raul, for that. Um, now, look, there's a number of people who are asking the similar questions. I might actually just um, group them together so that we can go back to our panelists. But there are some similar questions coming in. Is why does the speed of the of the takeover 
by the Taliban indicate that there is big support for the Taliban. And actually, for those people that have just asked questions, you mind just putting your hands down <laughs> just so that I can work out where things are at. Um, so several questioners are asking about the speed of, does the speed of the Taliban takeover suggest that it does have massive support? Um, and there are several questions too um, relating to women's struggles and how they are going. Um, what is the... Uh, how are women organising uh, resistance at the moment? Um, well, even if it's not exactly at the moment, um, what are Afghan feminists saying today? Um, and there are many other questions, but I might, I think I will um, just do a tiny, deviate to do a tiny ad break um, so that before the panellists come back and make a few comments based on the questions that have been put. Um, but just to say that um, for those who uh, don't know much about the Socialist Alliance, um, um, one of my friends can put in the chat box a link to, um, to our website, which has um, much more information about who we are, what we do, what we're involved in and our new platform. And for those that don't know a lot about Green Left Weekly, uh, we're marking our 30th uh, anniversary this year. Um, please do um, have a look at the website and um, become a supporter for as little as $5 a month. Uh, certainly helps us because, um, you know, we're a not-for-profit media and uh, we rely on your support. Okay. Um, thank you, comrades, for posting in the chat box. Now, I might just take it over to our panellists to make, give some comments on... The comments that have been made and some of the questions that have been raised. Who who would like? Perhaps um, Farouk would like to go first, or Malik. Thanks, Pip. Uh, I will just be brief. Uh, what would Biden do? I saw Biden's speech uh, two days earlier, and I saw Bush in Biden's eyes. And he was threatening and he was saying that we will follow you, we will not spare you, we will not uh, tolerate you. And uh, I think they will go for more target killings, abductions, uh, drone attacks, uh, but they want to complete first their withdrawal and then they will do their dirty uh, repressive measures uh, uh, as they have done and that will not be really any helpful because the fight against religious fundamentalism is an ideological fight and why Taliban took over so quick was another question because the demoralization of Ashraf Ghani government is his, uh, his uh, army and abandonment of uh, Afghanistan by US imperialism. So they just uh, abandoned them in the middle and without thinking the impact of their uh, one-sided uh, withdrawal that happened. Also uh, on the uh, resistance, I would say, I would repeat it of an Afghan woman while living in Kabul, I miss Kabul. Because now Kabul is without women. Uh, they're not women in the streets. So they are too terrified. And uh, they are uh, 
also asked by Taliban who said they don't know how to behave with women. So they have to learn how to behave with women. And we know they will learn through their gun, not through their mind. And I would also say Talibans are not popular. They are not a popular force. They are not a so-called nationalist force. They are religious fanatics, a sort of new fascist who want to eliminate all opponents by physical force. That's what they have demonstra demonstrated. And we don't have to give an inch of support to Taliban. And also we have to oppose even more to US imperialism. It's a military defeat, although through their negotiation policy. So it was a policy of Americans to leave uh, Afghanistan, but it is absolutely clear it's a militarily defeated US imperialism. Will that be an end of direct military interventions? I don't think so. This was uh, going too long for them. They didn't want to stay that long. And now we see that they have paid the price. So I would just end on this, that a dirty geopolitics has been played at present time. Russia, China, Iran, they are doing against what they have been doing in the past. China is mishoping that Taliban would be friendly and they could use Afghanistan as one of their main hub of investment as they have done in Pakistan. And Russia is also eyeing on uh, Afghanistan in a similar manner. Both China and Russia keep in mind US imperialism rather Afghanistan. Afghanistan is just used by these two powers to oppose American imperialism. So it's a dirty geopolitics. So is the Iranian regime. Because Deobandis, the Taliban's always say Shia kafir. They say Shias are not Muslims. And now the Shiite government is giving all sort of support just in a hope that the defeat of US imperialism could be further on the similar lines. So it's not a principal positions of the states. It's more of national interest. And I agree with Vakil who, say, who said earlier that Pakistani establishment built, helped, and brought them into power. Now they are too terrified what would happen to them in Pakistan. Thank you. Thank you, Farooq. Um, Malik, are you there? Would you like to uh, respond to some of the questions? No, okay. Well, um, I've just noticed another young woman that's put her hand up. I'd like to go to Shahiba, if you would like to ask your question, please. Thanks. Um, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for the discussion. Um, I am from Indian Occupied Kashmir, and my question is for Parukh Tariq about um, that Indian media has recently been um, telling about uh, or um, they have been reporting about uh, Afghan spill or the conflict, um, the spillover of Afghan conflict in Indian occupied Kashmir, uh, because Taliban has own allegiance to the uh, cause of Kashmir. So um, I would also like to um, believe, like um, since um, 
the current government in India is of obviously uh, has their um, political agendas, Hinduta political agendas, and uh, propagating this kind of narrative can be detrimental towards people of Kashmir because they can use it uh, in order to um, in order to uh, further their um, occupational occupation propaganda and um, further their oppressive um, policies towards people of Kashmir. So I just wanted to know about what are your opinions about um, um, the Afghan spillover, uh, uh, sorry, spillover of Afghan conflict to Kashmir. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Malik, you're here, you're back again. Um, did you want to reply to some of the previous yes. questions? Okay, go for it. Yes, can, can, can you hear me? <clears throat> I want to explain why I don't think it was a military defeat, uh, but a political defeat. The U.S. could have uh, kept 10,000 troops or more indefinitely and propped up the puppet government uh, as long as they wanted. The Taliban or the other forces were not strong enough to defeat the U.S. militarily. Uh, the, the reason why the U.S. Uh, uh, decided to leave is that its broader interests has shifted over the last 10, 15 years. That is, they developed special forces. They developed other ways to attack what they call terrorists uh, through drone bombs and, and, and other, other means. And they had hope that the uh, Afghan government with the troops and the military contractors that came in to support them would be strong enough to uh, protect their interests. They could, what they decided, and this is not just Biden, though he, 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 he held this view, that uh, the corruption of the government and the military and the contractors was such that to carry out their policy in the broader Middle East, uh, especially in North Africa, and most people don't talk about what's going on in Somalia and other places, with uh, the drone bombings and attacks on uh, people who are Islamic uh, jihadists, whether they're Islamic State or other names, uh, they needed to focus more on that. That's why they left. So I call it a political defeat because militarily they would have had to keep a lot more troops, which they weren't willing to do, to uh, consolidate their control. Afghanistan strategically was never a priority for the United States. They went to Afghanistan after 9-11-2001 because bin Laden was there. It's important to remember that 9-11, there was not one Afghan on those planes. There were 19 uh, hijackers, 15 were Saudis. And they, even the Saudis who were in the U.S., they let them go. George W. Bush let them fly out of the country. Uh, as an ally. So it was just a convenience to go into Afghanistan. And even bin Laden, they didn't kill him right away because they weren't that concerned about bin Laden. It took a number of years. Uh, they knew where he was, even though, it, you know, the, the, the Pakistani military were protecting them. Everyone knew that. They knew that. They just let it go until the, until the Obama administration decided to take him out. So so I think it's important to, to, to make that distinction because the U.S. militarily is still quite powerful in the region and the world. The reason why I said they were in decline is because the way to enforce your permanent rule, you need troops. 
on the ground in a lot of countries, and they're not willing to do that. That's the change. They put 100,000 troops in Afghanistan. It did not work. They put over more than 100,000 in Iraq. That did not work. Uh, and even the situation in Syria and what they're doing in North Africa. So that's an important point to understand about what the U.S. They never cared about the Afghan people, Afghan women, or anyone else. That was always just a, a propaganda point, and that's still a propaganda point uh, for them. Now, the second point I wanted to make was the question came up about, uh, you know, what happens in, uh, you know, outside of Afghanistan, it's clear. Everyone should fight for the refugees. I think um, yeah. Malik, are you there? I think Malik might have inadvertently um, pressed the off button. Okay. <laughs> well, when he gets back, I will ask him to continue. Um, Riz, did you have any comments in, in relation to the questions that are being asked? Yeah, I will try to be as brief as possible. Thanks, Pip. Um, um, I'll start with uh, Sahiba's question about Kashmir, um, if it will spill over to Kashmir. I would uh, possibly say yes, uh, because uh, of the role uh, Pakistani military establishment has been playing all along all these years. Uh, remember when Kargil happened, uh, when these Mujahideens don't have anything else to do, then Pakistan will, of course, redivert it somewhere else. And uh, for them, the second best option after Afghanistan is Kashmir. So um, uh, I, I would be, um, if, if I was Kashmiri, I would be really worried then um, uh, since uh, now uh, they will feel victorious in Afghanistan and uh, Pakistan don't want uh, all these jihadis uh, in their soil. Uh, and they will redirect them to Kashmir, and uh, I hope, I hope, uh, we we all can hope that uh, what happened in the past uh, by the military proxies of Pakistan in Kashmir that doesn't happen again. The second question um, was um, uh, about why Taliban was so quick to recapture Afghanistan. I would say that I think uh, the occupied forces never uh, intended to build a strong Afghan government in the past 18 years or so. Uh, when Taliban were, were entering Kabul, the entire leadership of Hazaras were sitting in Islamabad. Um, uh, uh, leadership of Hazaras in, 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 in Afghanistan hasn't done anything else in Afghanistan but filling their pockets with this uh, uh, supply of US dollar. Uh, uh, leadership is fully corrupt. They haven't done anything but to build uh, their empire uh, of big shopping centers uh, and all these uh, other stuff uh, in Afghanistan and overseas as well. And uh, being a very, um, how can I put it, being a, 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 a population in Afghanistan who are hungry uh, uh, for education, to build their life of safety and freedom, doesn't matter if it's in Afghanistan or outside of Afghanistan. We have an entire young generation of Hazaras in Afghanistan who put all their energy, time and effort to educate themselves, to, to, to uh, uh, try to build a society where they can live in safety and harmony in Afghanistan. Uh, 
Uh, that's why I think resistance from uh, from uh, Hazaras would be uh, most likely because of their uh, corrupt leadership and uh, a generation who uh, completely denounce uh, violence. Uh, in in regards to the uh, uh, positive role, I think uh, one of the participants put in the in the chat that China might uh, play a positive role in in in. Uh, Afghanistan. I would say again, that's not possible because uh, look at the uh, Uyghur pop population inside uh, China itself. China is trying to wipe out a complete population of it, its Uyghur population in, in Xinjiang uh, province. So we can't say as far as China has some uh, uh, some uh, economical interest, um, they might uh, play a role uh, alongside with Pakistan to install a, 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 a puppet regime in Afghanistan to serve uh, China's interests. Otherwise, I don't think that uh, China itself has a very uh, strong or good uh, uh, reputation when it comes to human rights and, and, and the rights of minorities in, in, inside China itself. Um, uh, in response to the question about the resistance in Panjshir, I don't think that's going to be uh, a very strong resistance or a very long-lasting, considering that the majority of the other warlords or uh, uh, other leadership from the Northern Alliance has already given up and surrendered to Taliban. Uh, I don't think that will be most likely. Um, again, in, uh, for the question how long that resistance can survive, um, I don't think uh, very long. Thank you, Riz. Um, you've just got another question to you, you from Bob there. Um, do you think the Taliban takeover will have repercussions or implications for either Uyghur or other minorities in Western China? Do you want to touch uh, on that and then we'll go yeah, back to... I, I, personally, I personally think as, as Afghanistan was a breeding ground for extre extremists and jihadists, uh, from around the world, that will happen again. And I think one of the uh, things that China wants assurance uh, uh, about is will be that uh, uh, Taliban uh, will not provide any support or safe uh, heaven for the uh, uh, activists or, uh, or, the, or the resistance movement from uh, Uyghur population from China. And uh, um, uh, I don't know if, if it was... Uh, if, if it is true, but there were reports that uh, after that attack on the Chinese engineers in, in, in the southwestern province of Pakistan earlier uh, uh, this month, uh, China did uh, uh, send some troops uh, to help uh, along its borders with Afghanistan. Um, so uh, as far as China gets the assurances that uh, um, uh, its uh, Belt and Road uh, Initiative won't be a target by uh, Islamic uh, militants and uh, uh, Taliban assurance that uh, they will not house any uh, Uyghur uh, members of Uyghur resistance movement. Um, I think uh, China will uh, keep uh, its mouth shut and won't do anything against Taliban. Thank you. Um, we'll go to Paul Loring. Next, please go ahead, Paul. Oh, hello, thank you very much. Um, my question uh, deals with uh, how we deal with m religious difference. 
it, it seems to me that the underlying basis of a huge part of the global conflict is politics based on religious difference. Uh, and um, it seems that the evidence is clear that such change must come from within each religion. Catholics wouldn't accept change from, say, Hindus. Jews wouldn't accept change from within from Christians. So why are we as Westerners surprised that Islam won't accept suggestions for change from nations which essentially have a Christian basis? So, so linked to this is that the West are seen as nations, the United States, Great Britain, Australia, versus non-nations, largely Islam-based political groups. You know, it's not Australian Anglicans or United States Presbyterians versus some Muslim group. It's this nation versus these groups. So my question then is, is there the momentum within Islam for managing this difference both within its religion and between it and other religions, and also about hence then managing change within. And linked to that then, then is, is how can the non-Muslim world, essentially the West, help and aid that process? Okay, um, thank you, Paul. Um, I'll take... Um... Tim Gooden, and then I'd like to go back to Sue Bolton so that um, uh, she can answer some of the these issues as well. Thank you. Hello, Tim. Welcome, Tim. Tim. Hello, Farouk. Um, thank you very much. This is a fantastic forum on a terrible situation. Um, about 20 years ago, I remember the rumour that the before the invasion, the Taliban, the pre-war Taliban, wouldn't allow a gas or an oil pipeline, um, trans-sub-Asian pipeline built from Chechnya across to uh, Pakistan. And uh, that was one of the reasons why they wanted to regain control of that area, the Western in, um, economic interests. Um, I think it was Malik, but Farouk and might know a bit about it as well. So, mentioned that there's now three gas pipelines. Um, how important are these uh, economically? Maybe they're only a, a small thing. And what sort of, do you think there's any assurances um, from the Taliban that those sort of economic interests are going to be looked after? And, and whose interests are they? Are they Pakistan's, America or um, India, etc.? cetera? Um, I, think, I think the... Often there's a bit of economic stuff behind this as well. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Um, look, we'll go back to Sue Bolton because there's a few questions um, in relation to uh, the refugee issue specifically, which um, Sue might want to comment on in particular. How can councils um, play a role in uh, the refugee rights movement here? And then I see Malik's been able to come back on and we'll go back to you, Malik, don't worry. So first, Sue, and then um, Mike. Um, first, on the question of resistance, and um, possibly Riz might have more of an idea 
Nakia or um, Nazir, who's also online and was the first speaker in discussion. Um, I think one of the things throughout the years of the US occupation is that the media here just really talked about politics in Afghanistan as just being either the US or the Afghan puppet government or the Taliban. And the actual people in Afghanistan were never really talked about as people who had their own agency. And there was a lot of political activity carried out by um, by people within Afghanistan who weren't part of the government, weren't necessarily supporters of the US occupation. And Malalai Joya talked a bit about that um, when she did her visit to Australia. So I think... Um, now, not all of us have direct lines of communication. I mean, we've got some contacts in Afghanistan, um, but I think, you know, yeah, we do. I think we do need to um, give voice to the resistance movement as it develops. Um, uh, and, and there's, you know, we've seen these early demonstrations. I mean, I don't have any special insights, but maybe um, Riz um, or maybe even Nazir, who's online, might want to um, say something more about that. But we should certainly support all of that. Just in response to the... Um, I, and just maybe one other thing regarding resistance is that, I mean, the big problem is with foreign interference from all of these governments. So the situation in Afghanistan or probably in Syria, all sorts of other countries could maybe be sorted out if it wasn't for inter interference from multitudes of countries. And the US has been interfering in Afghanistan since the 50s, along with other countries as well. And, um, you know, Turkey is another country which is trying to carry influence in Afghanistan. And, you know, we have all of these deals which are done outside of the country, which don't involve the people in the country. And we've seen that in Syria as well as Afghanistan. Um, so, you know, that's like a big, big issue. Um, on the issue of religion, it's not really to do with does this or that religion, um, what is it, um, how do we deal with religious differences? It's a political, I think it's a political question. And the rich powers, the ruling class powers, manipulate particular wings of particular religions to suit themselves. I mean, the US has funded various fundamentalist religious groups since the 50s in the Middle East against the um, against nationalist uprisings. And the religious right is funded by, you know, right-wing uh, politics in the United States. And the same happens in different countries, whether it might be in a country with Islam as a dominant religion or Christianity as a dominant religion or Judaism or Hindu. Hindu. Um, like, it's it's not really a question of, um, a you know, there are lots of, you know, elements of every religion which do have um, acceptance of other religions, but they're also reactionary forces that manip seek to manipulate, um, you know, fundamentalist or right-wing elements of different religions. And I, you, that's what you see in play with all of these situations. Islam is not, not a um, 
monolithic thing, just as Christianity or Judaism, etc., aren't. So um, it, it's really a political question, which is why the forum is focused on all of the political issues rather than religious issues. Um, and then on the in the refugee um, issue, refugee campaign in Australia, which is still a massive battle because it is like with the invasion of Afghanistan, it's a bipartisan uh, a bipartisan issue where the La Labor Party also has a reactionary um, position about refugees. And, um, and the key issue is that the two major parties refuse to accept asylum seekers who are forced to leave their countries without papers and apply for asylum from outside their countries. And, of course, it's not possible for most people to apply at the Australian embassy in um, in Afghanistan. Um, it's just not possible. And the same with other refugees from other countries. So this is the, the critical issue that Australia has basically ripped, effectively ripped up the refugee convention. And we've got to keep fighting um, for that. And at times like this, when people can see in front of them the horrors that are happening in another country that's causing thousands and tens of thousands of refugees to flee, we need to take advantage of these movements to try and win a large array of Australians and cause an uprising in Australia to overturn this barbaric refugee policy that we have in this country. Thank you. Well, and that includes counts, trying to win councils as well as other, other groups to progressive positions. Thank you very much, Sue. Um, I will just uh, inform everybody that Sue's running in the federal elections for the Socialist Alliance in Wills. Uh, so watch out for that. If you check out the um, website and get in touch with Sue if you're in Melbourne and you can help out. Um, now, I wanted to just quickly, we're really on the deadline now, but um, um, because it's been so fascinating and there have been so many questions, sorry, my computer froze, so I had to go out and come back in, so I can't see all your other comments. But um, I did want to end up um, asking Malik if, uh, who inadvertently got himself cut off previously, whether he'd like to keep um, finish his comments, and we'll have, uh, I guess, wrap up comment, quick wrap up comments from all the speakers. Uh, yes, uh, I'm sorry, I, I lost power, uh, so I, I I don't know what I missed, but I just wanted to make a couple points. Uh, uh, first of all, I think we all agree that the most important thing to do now is to help uh, the people who are, are leaving the country of Afghanistan, the refugees. And secondly, put pressure on our governments, especially in the United States, about uh, 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 ending the uh, economic and uh, sanctions and ending the military drone bombing that they, they have never stopped. Uh, and, and, and to support the rights of those still in Afghanistan. The, the, point, the other point I wanted to make is that uh, I think it's a, you have to be careful about the, the, the religious question, uh, including Islam. Islam has never been a monolithic religion. It's not just that there are Sunnis and Shias. There's other factions in, inside even the largest uh, Islamic uh, uh, ideas, and uh, and then, and there are secular people who consider themselves uh, 
you know, Muslims do. So it's not, it, it, it ultimately is a political issue that, uh, that has to be dealt with in each country. Uh, Afri- the, the Taliban has always been an extremist group. Its ideology uh, of Islam it goes way back. It actually er- originated uh, from the madrasas in India during the British colonial rule. It wasn't identical to the Wahhabism we know from uh, Saudi Arabia, but it's very similar. Uh, and, 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 and it was mainly in the poorer areas, uh, less educated, that, that gravitated to, to that vision. But, it, but it's not, you know, none of these are identical. It ultimately is a political question. I call them a nationalist group that is also religiously fanatic. But I also say it's nationalist because it's mainly based among Afghans or, or the different ethnic groups to cross the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan. But uh, it, it never identified uh, or supported ISIS uh, because it had a different view of Islam. And even Al-Qaeda, which it, it worked with, it, it, they weren't identical. But that's not the purpose of this discussion. Uh, the, the one issue that we, and I don't know a lot about, I mean, I've followed this for 30 years, uh, the politics of Afghanistan, is, you know, what is what was the political organizations inside Afghanistan during, during the, the, the U.S. occupation and the Allies' occupation? We should remember that in the late 1970s, when they had the democratic revolution and, and brought in basically a pro-communist government that the Soviets sent troops into, they they allowed a lot, more, they allowed as much freedom for women as you saw, uh, or maybe more that we saw recently. Uh, they were more secular. Uh, the CIA backed the Taliban, what became the Taliban, and Bin Laden in that war against the Soviet Union. So you, you can change sides quickly if you if it serves your interests. I'm not surprised that the U.S. now says they could work with the Taliban outside the airport, as they're saying, to get people out. They do whatever serves their interests. But the real weakness in Afghanistan is you got 38 million people. Even if a million people could leave, you still got 38 million people behind. The, the movement inside Afghanistan for democracy or a, a counter movement against the Taliban and other groups, in the long run, that has to develop like it did in the 70s. That's not possible yet. Uh, but that's true in every country. You know, you can be very weak and think it's not possible, but, it, you know, at some point, uh, a revolutionary movement can develop, and even if you don't think it's possible today. So uh, I, I have more confidence that that is possible in the future. I, I, I defend the right of re- people to leave and refugees, but I also defend those who are staying to try to organize, to survive, and at some point build an independent revolutionary movement inside the country like we need in Pakistan, in Syria, Iraq, and everywhere else, United States, Australia. It's all the same. So that that was one of the points that I think we we should recognize. It's still a fluid situation. Thank you very much, Malik. And uh, apologies that we got the times all wrong. And that, that so pleased that you were able to join us. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to um, go to uh, Farouk, then Riz, and then Sue for really literally one liner wrapping up because uh, people seem to be leaving as well. You may have had to go. Um, Riz, did you have any concluding remarks? Uh, yes, in in regards to um, Sue's uh, comments about the resistance, I think 
um, there will be a resistance. Uh, uh, why I think that? Because right now everyone is in shock. No one was expecting that Taliban will take over um, Afghanistan in within within hours or within days. Uh, once um, um, uh, all these uh, uh, people are out of the shock, people will try to organize themselves and uh, uh, they, will, they will try to resist uh, uh, what they don't approve of uh, uh, the harsh religious uh, and Islamic rules uh, by Taliban. Um, uh, when, uh, I hope, uh, as soon as possible, uh, but um, I don't think uh, uh, it will happen in the near future. It will take some time for people to gather themselves again. Uh, in terms of uh, refugees, uh, uh, we have to put a lot of pressure on our governments to stop this pick-and-choose uh, process. Uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of people who cannot apply uh, from within Afghanistan. Uh, in my case, there was no way that uh, uh, we could uh, apply for uh, any uh, refugee uh, status in any part of the world from Afghanistan. At the moment, as I said, there are thousands of people who already fled to Pakistan. Uh, once they are, in, 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 they feel safe in, in, in other part of the world, then they can uh, start uh, uh, thinking about applying uh, for uh, refuge in any other country. At the moment, right now in Afghanistan, people's uh, first priority is to 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 secure their safety and their families' uh, secure, uh, safety. And I don't think that uh, there is any uh, proper uh, uh, process or proper procedure to follow for Afghans living in Afghanistan right now to apply uh, uh, for a refuge in, any, in any other part of the world. I think uh, we have to uh, do our best uh, at our uh, end here uh, the, to, to, to pressure our government uh, to allow people uh, with the documentation or without the documentation, not only from Afghanistan, or if anyone managed to escape Afghanistan during this chaos, uh, we should uh, allow them to come uh, to safety in Australia, America, and other parts of the world. Thank you. Thank you very much, Riz. Um, um, I should just mention before going to Sue Bolton, um, we need to remember the whistleblowers in this context as well. I know people know Julian Assange as um, one of the important whistleblowers that brought the uh, the brutality of the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq to the world in many respects. There's also a, another person, David McBride, who is a military lawyer here that uh, is also getting persecuted. So we need to include them in our struggle. Um, now, Sue, would you like to give a concluding remark? And we'll see at the end if uh, Farouk is still there. And then we'll say goodbye. Just very briefly, I think... Um we, you know, as resistance develops in Afghanistan, we absolutely need to support and echo and amplify their voices in whatever way possible. Um, and hopefully we can, you know, build up links and so forth um, because I think, you know, there was far too little reporting of the, you know, civil society and resistance in Afghanistan during the occupation. So it would be good if we can uh, are able to support in whatever way we can from outside, because um, 
you know, it it isn't just a question of refugees. It's people fighting for change within, um, you know, not everyone will be able to be refugees or leave the country. So, you know, people will be fighting to change their society and to win their rights um, in Afghanistan. So we need to support that. Um, secondly, as, as Pip just mentioned, you know, we need to um, bring the war criminals to account. We need to support the whistleblowers. We also need to, um, the, the anti-war movement hasn't, hasn't been very strong in recent years, but we need to break this alliance between the United States and Australia, this military alliance, uh, which brings us all of these military bases, um, which the US uses to target drone attacks in other countries many thousands of kilometres away. Um, and we also need to redouble our efforts in support of Afghan refugees and all refugees. And there is, um, someone put in the chat box a bit earlier that there is going to be an online refugee rally in Melbourne tomorrow. It was originally planned for World Refugee Day, but had to be postponed because of various COVID lockdowns in Melbourne. Um, it's initiated by uh, refugee-led organisations, Justice of Refugees, um, Refugee Voices and other refugee organisations as well as Refugee Action Collective and uh, I think the uh, Refugee Advocacy Network's involved as well. So that's at 2 o'clock tomorrow. Um, and last a couple of nights ago, Refugee Action Collective decided that we will we do want to hit the streets as soon as the lockdown ends around Afghanistan, in particular Afghan refugees um, and um, people's rights to family reunion, permanent residency, et cetera, and lifting the humanitarian intake of refugees from Afghanistan um, to 20,000. So I'll just leave it there. There's many other interesting points in discussion which we'll have to keep discussing in the coming days. Thanks. Thank you very much, Sue. Yes, let's keep discussing um, and be as active as we possibly can. Thank you to all participants. Thank you to Nazir. Thank you to everyone that's contributed to today. We've gone a bit over time, but I was conscious that trying to <laughs> keep it all going. Um, yeah, so look, yes, um, stay in touch. I guess one one way one way of doing that is to is to keep in touch with Green Left, but there are many others as well. Farouk, are you still there? I haven't been able to see you, but yeah, if you can do um, yeah, uh, oh, please I guess give I... some concluding oh. remarks, please. <laughs> no, no, not concluding remarks. It's just some information for this. Eighteen thousand refugees from Afghanistan are entering from Chaman border daily. That is the report we printed yesterday in our paper. And there is a new influx of Afghan refugees to Pakistan and uh, also from Torkham and other areas. Yeah. But I would say, I would agree what Riz and uh, Sue has said about the refugee issue. Our main priority at this time is solidarity. Solidarity and solidarity, that is important to keep in touch, as you said, Pip. Uh, we have to be more united. We are passing through difficult time. And in this difficult time, we need more contacts. And I could see despite uh, over two and quarter, two hours and 15 minutes, uh, still we have over 60 in this and we had over 100 earlier. 
So it's a great interest of activists that is uh, expressing that they want to do something. They want to show their solidarity with the Afghan people. And that's what we would do. Thank you very much. Thank you, Farooq. Um, and thank you again to everybody um, for participating. Lots of ideas still flowing. Lots of thanks. Solidarity is key. Can we ignite, initiate a regional day of solidarity? Um, all things to think about. And, of course, we know each other. We can send emails around and uh, build on these excellent ideas. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. To continue producing shows like this, we need your support. Consider becoming a supporter for $5 a month, sharing this show on social media, and submitting your own stories. You can do all this at our website, greenleft.org.au.